Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. Today, we're catching up with Boston's beloved baker, Joanne Chang, who owns Flower Bakery and Cafes and Myers and Chang. Hey guys, before we get started with our interview, I want to tell you about Image Unlimited Communications, a PR agency that cares about restaurants just as much as we do. This Boston-based firm has a unique and effective personalized approach, and they've got the local and national media clips to prove it. With a sharp focus on lifestyle, restaurants, and consumer goods, the agency has the contacts and the hustle to get you the placements that really move the needle for your brand. Whether you're looking for help with public relations, event planning, digital marketing, or social media, Image Unlimited Communications is here to help. Check them out at www.iucboston.com. That's iucboston.com. Hey, Catherine. Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm officially 30 years old. I don't I think you've seen me since I turned 30. They grow so fast. Do I look older and wiser? Wiser, definitely. Older, <laughs> definitely not. I don't see a single wrinkle on that sweet face of yours. Welcome to the club, sister friend. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a good decade. And, you know, I feel really young still. I just joined TikTok. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I can do that. I think there might be like a actual law that I'm that I'm once you're an, a mom like I don't know if you can go on TikTok. Mary, you would have a funny TikTok with all your footage with Jack and now Pete. You would be a good oh. mommy TikToker. I'm always looking for new ways to exploit my children on social media <laughs> as any of my few Instagram followers know. So that's good. You have know. a lot of content. Um, but yeah, I started one and it is making me feel a little old because learning a new platform of the millennial era is a little confusing, but I'm getting there. I'm pretty sure if you use terminology like learning a new platform means you're too old for <laughs> said medium. <laughs> but yeah, everyone should follow us on TikTok if we're there yet. <laughs> yeah, let's record some funny stuff, Catherine. Okay, let's do it. Um, but anyway, I'm so excited that Joanne Chang is joining us today. Me too. She is such a queen. She is such a business boss. I remember when Karen Akenowitz was on the podcast and she's like, I went to the Joanne Chang School of Business. I cannot wait to talk to her. Same. I've been obsessed with Myers and Chang and Flower Bakery and Cafe for so long now. I can't believe we're up to what, eight flower bakeries in Boston now. Yep, there's eight. And when I moved to Boston in 2007, um, I think there was just one, maybe two. And it was one of my first food memories was coming here when my husband already was getting his PhD at BU Medical. And that was like our luxury was to go to flower. So I'm super excited. Me too. And everyone loves the sticky buns. I'm obsessed with the banana bread. Have you ever had it? Oh, I make it at home from the really? OG flower cookbook. Oh, my God. It's I need to so start good. doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the banana bread and then the dumplings from Myers and Chang. Like, there's just so many amazing dishes on both menus. I hope she brings us snacks. Me too. Well, hi, Joanne. It's so nice to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in studio. I know you probably are a busy lady. 
<laughs> running around like crazy every day, for sure. Are, are you running around or are you biking around? I remember hearing that you yeah. bike from flower to flower. I do. So I biked today from my house to Flower Fort Point and then to Flower IDB. Um, and then I Ubered here because the bike ride would have taken me like 40 minutes. And I was running late. You don't have time for that. No. <laughs> if it were nice out, honestly, and if I had spaced it better, then I would have. But today is a nice day, but not nice enough for a 40-minute bike ride. Yeah. It's nice for February, Yes, though. for sure. We're having a mild winter so far. Definitely. But I'm not holding my breath. It's New England. And yep. we'll probably still be really cold by April. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so many people now look around and see all of these different flowers. Um I moved to Boston in 2007, and I was telling you before we started recording that flower was like my first luxury when I came to Boston because my husband was getting his PhD at BU Medical. That was where – that was the first flower, right? No, that's the second one. I'm sorry, one. the second flower. Well, no, which one? On the Washington one. Street. Oh, no, you're right. That's the first one. 2007 is when we opened the second, so I think I got a little confused. Yes, yeah, that's so, the first one. Yeah, so it's always been like a very special luxury place for me, and it seems like such a well-oiled machine. Uh, but I would love for you to take us back to the beginning and tell us – what was your first year like of running oh, Flower Bakery? Oh, my gosh. The absolute opposite of well-oiled machine, <laughs> for sure. The entire first year of Flower, I wanted to sell it. It was so challenging and uh, just really, really, really difficult, you know, to to put your heart and soul into everything and your dream bakery and then to open up every day and not have it be perfect was really hard. I mean, there were really great days and there were really tough days. And I think the tough days really got to me. Um, there's just a lot that goes into taking what's in your head and not only the baking part, which is hard in and of itself, but that I was expecting, but the whole experience part trying to guide a group of people to give our guests the experience that I really wanted everybody to have. Took a lot more um, training and communication and delegation than I was comfortable with at the time. So it took about a year before I finally started to take these active steps to really train and share uh, very, very openly both the great things and the things that needed improving um, and just getting the entire team behind what we were doing. And to take it back even further than that, um, not that there's any really typical path to becoming a baking empress, but you uh, you were at Harvard. You had a consulting gig. It does not seem like this was always the plan to start this bakery. So. No, I, I don't think I started thinking about opening my own place until probably three or so years into my a professional cooking career. So as you said, I graduated from Harvard with a degree in math and economics, and I spent a couple years as a management consultant. Um, and then I wanted to try something that I'd always been really passionate about, which is cooking and being in the kitchen and baking. So I got a job in a restaurant um, at Biba in Boston under Chef Lydia Shire. Um, and then from there, I kind of moved around from bakery to restaurant and bakery to restaurant. And I think while there's no typical path for sure, I do think a really important path is to spend as much time as possible working for chefs and pastry chefs that you admire and that you can learn under because um, I really gained so much by working under Lydia and Jody and Christopher and um, Francois and Jamie and all the people who kind of mentored me as I was going up my, in my career that really helped me uh, take that first step into opening my own place. 
Did you always have a really big sweet tooth or what, what brought you to baking? Yeah, so I didn't grow up with sweets at all because my parents are very, very traditional. So um, tr- uh, typically in Asian households, you just don't have a lot of sweets. You have a lot of fruit. So I still you know, love fruit, but I didn't really have what we all consider sweets. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, my friends, I would go visit friends' house and they would have sweets. And so I started to um, really fall in love with eating pastries, but my parents would never let me have them. So I think that sort of fueled the fire, you know, anything that's forbidden, you kind of want more of. Um, so when I went to college, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm on my own. I can do whatever I want. And I was, I love pastries. I've, I love, I mean, it's what I eat all the time is pastries. I have to consciously think about like eating regular food, like, <laughs> like dinner food and lunch food, because if it were up to me, I would just eat sweets all day long. And when you say traditional, your parents are Taiwanese. Is that exactly. correct? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And are you first generation American born? Or? Yes. Okay. So they came here for graduate school. They actually met here in the States. They went to the same college in Taiwan, but they didn't meet there. They met here in Houston and got married. And then I was born here. So when did you end up moving to Boston? I came here in 87. Okay. I was a freshman in college. It was Boston was very different in 87, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything was very <laughs> everything, different. Yeah. Yes. The food scene was different. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole world was different. Yeah. For sure. And so you were talking about the first year at Flower and how it, it took, you know, that year to really get in your rhythm, which actually isn't a long time in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But how did you build that team? And, you know, how are we how are we at eight flowers now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that first year uh, really taught me a lot of lessons that I was able to apply and continue to learn and push myself as we continued um, along, you know, the second, third, and fourth year. And, you know, really what led to the second flower was uh, a, my team of bakers and managers and chefs and staff. Um, by the time we were at about six years old in the first flower, I had about six people on the team who really wanted to continue at Flower, but had kind of maxed out. You know, they were either my assistant pastry chef and and she had no place to grow unless I left. Um, our front of house manager is the same. Like he was the manager, but there wasn't any more opportunity for him beyond that. So we had a, a bunch of these people who wanted growth and were kind of capped out. And so rather than lose them, I said, gosh, if I open another bakery, that will offer this group of people even more opportunity. Um, And so that's what led to the second one. We didn't open our second one until um, seven years after the first. uh, And that had allowed me enough time to kind of cultivate this team of people who I didn't even know that we would end up opening the second, but because I wanted to keep them, it led to the second. And then once we opened the second, kind of the same thing ended up happening. We had two groups of people who wanted growth. And so that's kind of how we've continued to grow. I didn't realize there was a seven-year yeah, gap in between exactly. first and second locations. Yep. Okay, so it took maybe seven years yeah. to become a really well-oiled machine. Yes, yes. <laughs> when you talk about uh, your team and that's why you expanded, it makes you think to when Karen Akenowitz was on here and she always oh, says, right. I went to the Joanne Chang School yeah. of Business. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh, right? So that also makes me – I don't want to forget about your other baby, Myers yes. and Chang. Yes. And it's such a different experience than a flower bakery in a lot of ways. And I would just love to know about – I love that restaurant, but like, why does it exist? Like, how does it fit into the business plan? Has it fit into just fulfilling your love of food and baking? Sure, sure. Um, So, uh, you know, the the other reason why we ended up growing to two locations is that at that point, Christopher and I had started dating. And uh, actually, I think by then we were engaged and we were, you know, getting married. And um, he really, he had had multiple restaurants in Boston and he'd grown from one to four. 
and he really kind of saw that with flour there was potential. And so he was, along with the team wanting to grow, he was really encouraging us and pushing us to to continue to grow. And so not only were we growing flour together, we were also discussing how can we work together as, um, as a team uh, and do our own thing. And so we wanted to do something together. We had a bunch of different ideas, and opening an Asian restaurant was something that was really uh, near and dear to both of us. He grew up in the North Shore of um, uh, near Boston uh, in Newburyport, and he used to eat Chinese food growing up all the time. I grew up eating Taiwanese food um, all the time, and both of us really wanted to bring this love of hospitality and the love of great Asian food to Bostonians. So this was in 2007 that we opened Myers and Chang our restaurant. Um, And we did it in large part because there was no place in Boston that you could go to for a great Asian meal that wasn't in Chinatown. And we live near Chinatown. We love Chinatown. But you don't always want to go to Chinatown. Sometimes you want to maybe get dressed up a little bit or you want to go with your parents somewhere or have a first date or whatever. And so, you know, both of us having worked and for Christopher having operated um, kind of higher end restaurants we both felt that there was a, an opening for this type of restaurant. So we opened it not really knowing if people would respond, and it's been almost 13 years, and we've been incredibly incredibly lucky. Yeah, it's always busy and always fun. It just, you know, 13 years is a long time yeah. in the life of a restaurant, and it just still feels fresh, so. Definitely. I love the Mama Chang's pork dumplings yes. and the Don Don noodles. Thank you. I actually yeah. need to go back. Yeah. Catherine, we're overdue for a date. Yeah. <laughs> might, might have to be. We're going to sit at the bar there. Excellent. Yeah, that would love be fun. It. And so you also uh, created a cookbook for Myers and Chang. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I started writing books after we opened The Second Flower uh, because I was getting away from what I love to do, which is teaching people how to bake and how to cook. And so when we opened The Second Flower, my role changed a lot. I was no longer in the kitchen every day because we had two locations, so I was spending a lot more time managing. And uh, writing a cookbook was a way for me to continue to teach people. Um, by the time uh, Myers and Chang, you know, opened, and then we were running it for a while, and then Karen, Chef Karen, joined us. She really wanted to uh, partake in writing a cookbook. We at that point had enough to say with Myers and Chang to write a cookbook. Christopher and I were both like, okay, now seems to be a good time. Um, so we put all of our heads together and we wrote this book together. We tested, I think it's almost a hundred recipes. Um, uh, Mama Chang's dumplings and the Don Don noodles are in there. And, uh, you know, our thinking is that if you can't come to Myers and Chang, like maybe you don't live in Boston or maybe, you know, you just can't come as often, at least you can bring Myers and Chang to your home through the book. I actually went to a book signing uh, with you and Karen at the BCAE. Oh, great. And I remember your mom was there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Mama Chang. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She's a big fan. <laughs> I'm sure she is. And I'm sure you have to thank her for uh, maybe not letting you eat so many sweets right? up because here we are. <laughs> Catherine, I have some exciting news. Remember our season one sponsor, Weinster? Yes, how could I forget? They curate great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Yep, that's right. But the exciting news is that they're officially opening their doors to their showroom in Seaport this spring. What do you mean a showroom? Can you buy the wine there? Well, you can purchase wine and join the wine club in the showroom, but you can't walk out with wine. They always ship orders direct to your door. Convenient, right? 
They host small groups interested in learning more about Winester and the wineries in their portfolio for wine consultations at no cost. An expert wine consultant will lead the group through a curated menu of five wines and educate the group on each pour and the amazing small producers that make them. Guests will also learn about the many ways to purchase these typically hard to find wines, either by the bottle, through the wine club, or with many gifting options on the Winester site. Um, that sounds amazing. When are we going? I think we're overdue for a wine date now that I'm not pregnant. Totally agree. I can't wait to check it out with you. The complimentary 90-minute wine consultations are by appointment only at the showroom, so let's get on it. If you're interested in learning more, head to www.winester.com. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. A lot of people, Joanne, write like a quote-unquote restaurant cookbook, but you have, is it five cookbooks under yes. your belt now? Yeah. Uh, Pastry Love is the most recent one. I actually got it for my mom for Christmas. Oh, she's like, she's always baked, but she's really taking it to like the next level now. Nice. Like, very Joy much into Chang it. Level? Yeah, uh, not too much level, but like for oh, a person awesome. at home, it's been really cool to see actually. But you had talked about you know teaching people and that being a big part of it. Yep. Very selfishly, um, I have a bunch of your cookbooks, and I feel like your brioche at Flower is like a real backbone recipe. Yes. Like it seems like it is sort of the secret to so many things. Could you, for an amateur baker, because I'm very much a savory cook and not a baker. I love to eat sweets. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are the same way. What are some of your, I guess, I'd love to hear about the brioche specifically, yeah. but what are some of your tips for amateur bakers? Like whether it's a Toll House cookie sure. or, or your brioche, what are mistakes are we making? Well, the funny thing is, is that brioche was a recipe I learned when I was working with Francois Payard in New York City. And I didn't realize it was a recipe that some people struggle with. So when I learned it, it was just, here's how you do it, do this. And so I kind of went in fearless because I didn't know that there were all these pitfalls. Um, and so I've tried to teach that in the books where I, I, you're right. I think the brioche is in pretty much every book that I've written because it is such a backbone. The, the basic tips I would give to anybody are um, the, the most important thing is to get a kitchen scale because once you start weighing your ingredients, you have like so much more chance of succeeding because to me, that's where a lot of recipes um, can go awry is you are looking at a measurement for flour, let's say, um, and you're using a volume measurement and maybe you tap it onto the counter a little bit too much and it settles the flour. And so then you keep adding more flour to get to the right measurement. At that point, you've already you know, switch the proportion of everything, and then your brioche might not come out as fluffy as you like. So getting a kitchen scale is hugely important. I also think, and it sounds so basic, but the number of people who tell me they don't do this, reading the recipe from start to finish. Like you should really kind of envision yourself doing every step um, because it'll make sure that you have all the ingredients. It'll make sure you have all of the utensils. It'll give you a, head, a heads up if there's something that needs to be done ahead of time, such as um, prepping the pan or turning on the oven ahead of time. Um, and that's actually another tip is to make sure that you preheat your oven. If you take something and just put it into an oven and then turn it on, uh, depending on the recipe, but but most recipes, most product will not survive that because it's not – a lot of recipes depend on what's called oven spring, which is that burst of heat that when you take a dough or a batter and it goes into the oven, the oven springs it to life and then it does its thing. If you put it into a cold oven and then just turn up the heat, then the dough or the batter just melts and it never gets that oven spring. 
Okay. Those are great tips. Are you taking notes? I am in my brain. <laughs> I am in my brain. I will I will conquer brioche. I mean, actually, this is a true story. I bought that original flower cookbook. It's yeah. sitting on my – I've used it so many times, crispy magic frosting. Oh, oh. But cool. I've never worked up the courage to make the brioche, and I'm going to go home and do it. The brioche is – it's it's actually really straightforward. If you have a scale, it's so easy. I do. We're so going to do easy. that. I'm going to bring in Panerais on for some, yes. yeah, please do. some recording. Yeah, I can just critique it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm barely perfect. a cook, so I'm definitely not a baker, but you're inspiring me to maybe open my, my flower so. cookbook or bake book. Yes. Cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have followed you and Myers and Chang and Flower on social media for years and years now, but I'm curious since you opened the first flower so long ago now, um, how has social media impacted your day to day or your business overall? I mean, it's been huge. You know, uh, when we started Flower in 2000, I didn't even have a smartphone. I had a BlackBerry. You know, <laughs> I, I remember tapping out text. Um, actually, I think it even took me a while to get a BlackBerry because I remember thinking, why does anybody need to know where I am? I'm always at the bakery. So it was like three or four years in, I got a BlackBerry. And then finally, I got an iPhone. And then social media kind of sprang up into all of our worlds. Um, it's been a really amazing way for me and us to connect to our guests, to people who both live in Boston and people who are not in Boston. Um, it's been a wonderful way for me, especially like with the cookbooks, to kind of give tips and to share perspective. People reach out to me, DM me all the time and send pictures of their baking and say, you know, something went wrong. What happened here? And I can usually try to help them troubleshoot. Um, it's a fun way for me to see what's going on in the bakeries and the restaurants when I can't be there. You know, I, I look every night to see who's tagged us. Um, and it's really great to see when people like love something that we've done enough to actually post it on social media. Um, and then I'm able to oftentimes see little things that maybe, you know, you don't see, but I see. And so Somebody might post something and it's a really beautiful picture, but I might notice something that needs a little bit of tweaking. So it allows me to kind of give some direction when needed. So it helps you keep tabs. Yes. That's All amazing. I never <laughs> would have. I mean, it makes oh, yeah. sense, like, thinking about you and your how your precision. And, you know, I know that you taste everything at the bakery, yep. like, all of the time. Yeah. But who knew that you were also spying <laughs> on social? Well, the, the bakers know because yeah. they get the – I'll forward them something on, on Instagram and say, hey, will you take a look at this? I think that maybe we need to cover the cupcake with a little bit more frosting. And they're always like, on it. Got That's it. amazing. And that actually brings me to my, my next question I wanted to ask you. But how are you making sure that, you know, the quality really is consistent across the board when you're opening – so many locations, and there's only one of you, so you can totally. only taste so many no, days a it's, week. No, it's for sure one of the most challenging parts. Um, but I, I have really put all of that on the team. I have an incredible team of pastry chefs and bakers who we all talk about. Um, you know what? We're, when we start a new item, we we talk a, a lot and we taste a lot about what it's supposed to taste like and look like, and then it's on them, and they do tastings every week. Um, we all talk about what we call the mom test, which is, would you give this to your mom? And so uh, all of the bakers and all the pastry chefs, when they're tasting things, they're always running it through that filter of, you know, would I give this to my mom? And if not, then I'm not going to put it on the counter. I like that. The mom test. It's <laughs> a good, good way to be. So I'm assuming from what you've told us between opening the first location of Flower and then the second seven years later and now we're up to eight, your employees like to stick around. And that's a huge problem in Boston. Do, would you say that's true? I mean, it, definitely the unemployment rate is so low right now, it's it's hard to find staff for sure. Yeah. So how are you how are you coping with that over the more recent years? We have always spent a lot of time, I mean, as you 
can tell because of why we opened the second one, um, focusing on how we can grow the people who work for us on our team right now. So we do um, a, a lot of things to try to encourage people to stay. Um, we have professional development seminars for the managers. We have growth seminars for people who are not yet in management who might want to step into management. Um, we spend a lot of time um, doing what we call stay interviews, which is uh, we'll sit down with a team member um, and just ask them, you know, what they like about their job and what what is it about the job that that keeps them. So, that, and is there anything that they would change? Because we're always trying to figure out ways that we can improve their experience. Um, and mostly, we just try to uh, make sure that the team understands that we do have a culture of wanting people to grow um, within the company. And so, like just now, I just came from our production kitchen where I interviewed two amazing bakers, both of whom want to stay and grow. We have one position open, so we're going to have to choose one of them. But then I know that within the bakeries, there's other open positions. So I'm hoping that we can place, you know, them uh, within either the bakery or the production kitchen. So we just, you know, really focus a lot on trying to understand what it is people are trying to get out of Flower or Myers and Chang and give them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Joanne, so that, you know, it's really incredible to hear about how your employees are able to grow in the company. And I'm curious about your own growth in the company. You know, you've come a long way, obviously, from like waking up at 2 a.m. to yeah. just big, <laughs> to the big bake-off for the one bakery. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the ups and downs and um, things that you might have learned uh, as you've scaled the business? Well, it was very, very challenging for me in the first, you know, when we opened the second one to let go a little bit. And I think, you know, had it not been for the cookbook where I did have a little bit of an outlet, I'm sure it would have been a lot even more challenging. Um, but I have learned over the years um, the importance, I've really taken this to heart, um, the importance of hiring or promoting people into positions, making sure that they are very clear on what success is in that position, um, making sure they have adequate training so that they can achieve that success, and then letting go and kind of stepping back and, and letting them kind of run with it. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's this fine line between micromanaging and just being just overbearing. And so I think in the beginning, I tend to be a little micromanaging because I want to make sure that they have the proper tools and the proper training. Um, and then once I feel like, okay, they kind of understand like what level we're looking for, then I try to really step back and just let them grow. And so that for me has been a big way that I've learned and changed over the years. I find that I'm still continuing to do that, even in my role now, where I feel like I've continued to let go. I know that there are certain people who work for me who would um, probably appreciate if I let go even more. And so I'm still continuing to figure out how I can uh, I can be the the operator of Flower along with Christopher and how we can continue to inspire and mold the team without like getting into their business because we want them to push themselves and grow. Which flower was the most challenging to open? Hmm. That is a good question. I probably, honestly, the first one really was so hard. Um, the second one was tough because I'd never done anything like it other than the first one. And so there was a little bit of like, wow, okay, so this happens again and I have to do this again. Um, after that, it's not that they're easier, but there's more systems in place. They're all very challenging because you want all of them to be great. And so every time you open a new one, you know, there's a lot of hurdles to jump over and and there's a lot of people to inspire. Um, but I will say the first first one and the second one were just tough because we had to set up all of those, um, all of that structure. 
something to be said for taking time to put systems in place. Something I do not excel at naturally. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever envision opening flower beyond Boston? I don't, honestly. You know, Christopher and I have had a number of discussions in the last couple of years about where do we take flower and what do we want to do. And um, honestly, when I think about flower in another city or even another state, there's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel great to me. I mean, what feels really great to me is operating the flowers that we have and maybe opening a couple more and, and making sure that they are amazing and being connected to the teams in the ways that we can so that we can continue to help them grow. And I think that by expanding out into other cities, it's not that that's a bad thing or that we couldn't continue to do that, but I feel like my satisfaction level would just be a lot different. And I really like where we're at now. And how many employees do you have across the company now? Uh, we're at, I think we just hit 500. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying to envision like a day in the life of Joanne Chang. How do you, <laughs> how do you manage your time and be everywhere like you are? Well, like, I, I write a really strict schedule every Saturday. It's kind of the last thing I do before I sign off for the weekend. I write a schedule um, for the following week. And it's color-coded based on location because it just helps me kind of remember where to go and what to do. And I, I just look at my calendar and um, I try to spend a couple hours twice a week at each bakery. Um, and then I'm usually at the restaurant on Monday evenings, uh, Thursday afternoons, and Friday evenings. So I have kind of a, you know, a pretty uh, set schedule that changes week to week mm-hmm. um, that allows me to continue to see the product and see the guests and see the staff. Um, in a way that that feels good to me. Joanne, I asked our Instagram followers if they wanted to ask you anything today. Oh, great. And we had a few people chime in. They're really excited. But I found these questions the most interesting. Can you start out by telling us what is your favorite thing to bake? My favorite thing to bake is croissant. I love just everything that goes into creating the perfect croissant, in part because there's so few very there's so few ingredients, and so there's so many variables. But you're taking, you know, flour, yeast, uh, butter, water, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, and that's really kind of it. And you, by how you manipulate temperature, time, um, the actual dough, you create something really incredible. Um, And I just love the whole process. It takes, you know, two and a half, three days to do it right. Obviously not like spending all of that time, but, um, and just watching, it's like magic to me, watching, you know, a little bit of flour, a little bit of, well, a lot of butter, (laughs) you know, and some, some water and some yeast and all this, and you put it together and then you do this and this and this. And then three days later, you have this thing that like springs up in the oven. And when you bite into it, it's like really buttery and flaky and shatters. I love that. Mm. There's nothing more impressive to me than a good croissant. Oh, you know, I how I she said croissant. She said I know. croissant. Croissant. Better. <laughs> you gotta work on I that, learned Catherine. enough. I worked in a French bakery, and they definitely made fun of me whenever I said certain words in English. So I learned how to say them all in French. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's that's what you're used to. Yeah. Um, well, I personally want to learn how to make your banana bread, and I actually oh. got Sarah. I'm obsessed with your banana bread. It's my favorite in all of Boston and beyond. Um, but I got Sarah for her birthday. Was it last year or the year before? Um, who I work with at the Food Lens baking a baking class at flour oh great so yeah so she could make you banana bread it's very (laughs) self-serving everything for me so (laughs) so i'll tag along but our other question from another instagram follower is how do you hire the perfect people to fit your culture and how do you make the culture what it is at flour so the hiring process um we do an interview 
And then we do what's called a stage, which is when you come and spend anywhere from two to six hours in the bakery, depending on the position, and you get to see what it's like behind the scenes, and we get to see what you're like in action. Uh, And from that, we can usually kind of tell if you're the right fit, if you're somebody who is eager to learn and passionate about hospitality, um, who's a team player, um, who's, you know, excited about being at work, then that's somebody that we want on the team. Uh, once you've joined the team, um, we continue to promote the culture through a bunch of different ways. Um, we do something called the FIT Tour. It's the Flower Information Tour. And that's where we take about a dozen new hires. It's usually after their second or third month. Um, we schedule them to meet with me, uh, and we have a little discussion about the history of flower. Then they meet with our director of ops, who talks about hospitality. And then they go and visit our coffee vendor, tea vendor, produce um, vendor, um, we go to a nonprofit, uh, and then we visit the production kitchen. Um, we also have a bunch of fun things like uh, we call it the shout-out board. It's in every bakery and the production kitchen, and it's a big white board that's got covered in um, Post-it notes, and people are encouraged to write positive comments about their coworkers when they see them going above and beyond. And so at the end of every month at every bakery, we select a winner for the shout out board and they get this really cool t-shirt that's, you know, really soft and everybody loves. And, <laughs> and you just, you know, you kind of get to see what other people are doing for their coworkers or for guests. Um, and then we have this thing called pay it forward where every two weeks we encourage, um, we pick somebody and we give them a, a gift card to the bakery and a little note that tells them why they're so special. And then they get it, they get to pay it forward to another coworker. So it kind of keeps going from there. Um, and so we're always trying to do things to highlight to the teams the importance of, of hospitality, of making, making guests and staff's lives a little bit better through um, being really kind and being really gracious and uh how to enjoy really great food. And, you know, there's just so many things that we're always trying to do because we know how hard this work is. And we know that they have a choice. The team has a choice on whether or not they should work at Flower and so, or at Myers and Chang. And so if they come work for us, then we want them to really embrace it and really enjoy it. That's company culture goals, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully one day at the food line, I can do stuff like that. Well, lastly, we want to ask you our rapid-fire round of questions sure. that we ask everyone on the show. So could you please name your favorite Boston dumpling? Boston dumpling? Yes. Myers and Chang. <laughs> I knew that was a shoe <laughs> in. I hope everybody <laughs> answers that, too. <laughs> uh, date spot? We love going to Ostra. It's the seafood restaurant near the Park, uh, is it near the park Plaza Hotel. It's kind of around there. Mm-hmm. Love that place. Dessert? Uh, I will say, if not someplace at Flower or Myers and Chang, um, I love the baked Alaska at Sofra. Or Oleana, sorry, Oleana, yeah. That's a good one. It's incredible. So good. And lastly, dive. Uh, Trina's. Is, that, is Trina's a Oh, dive? yeah, that's okay. a great answer. Love I Trina's. love Trina's so Yeah, much. we just had our Myers and Chang holiday party there. Oh, that's They're a fun amazing. spot. They're yeah. wonderful. They yeah. are. The brunch is so good too there. Hi guys, Catherine here. I know you're used to hearing me talk about restaurants and my human babies and occasionally my fur babies, but I want to share a little bit about my other baby, Not Just Company. I started Not Just to help you eat better at home using modern pantry staples like our crazy delicious flagship product, Not Just Pasta Sauce. 
It's made with 10 veggies, has no added sugar, plus it's vegan and gluten-free. But the best part is it helps you get a healthy, tasty dinner done fast. On the nights you aren't hitting the Boston restaurant scene, of course. Imagine coming home from work, popping open a jar, adding a few fresh ingredients, and sitting down to shakshuka or quinoa chicken meatballs or chana masala before you've even finished your first glass of wine. Each pack of sauce comes with recipe cards, and I promise you'll quickly be making meals you love, food that you'll actually enjoy cooking, even if you're brand new to the kitchen. I'm kicking off 2020 by offering TFL podcast fans 20% off their first order with the promo code FOODLENS20 at notjust.co. That's FOODLENS20 at notjust.co. This episode was produced by Isaac Price Slade. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.